Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast and lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. This is the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Back on a normal week here, Mary Kay, we get, uh, you know, a normal week leading up to a very big game against Baltimore. So all these questions came from our football insider subscribers, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page where you'll get a newsletter, uh, texting, which is where these questions came from, and access to those stories at cleveland.com slash Browns that are behind the paywall. And a lot of people wanting to talk, of course, about Deshaun Watson. So let's start here. Tyson from New Braunfels, Texas. Hey, Mary Kay. How close is Deshaun Watson, in your opinion, to regaining his form and shaking off the rust? With the exception of one play, it looked like a vast improvement on Sunday. You know what? I really do believe that as the weeks go by and we start to get into November, somewhere around mid-November, I think that Deshaun Watson is going to hit his stride in this offense with the guys that he's playing with. I think what happened after the Pittsburgh game was a gross overreaction to Deshaun Watson. I think people keep lumping those last six game, those six games from last season into this year. And I think you kind of have to set those aside a little bit just because of what they were and what it was all about. He was coming back, of course, off of an 11 game suspension, 700 days out of football. And it just was sort of its own entity, a very unique, and, uh, you know, just difficult situation for, for everybody involved. Uh, so, you know, I just think that this year is something new and different and that you kind of have to start over here. And I just thought the way that, that the sky was falling after his performance in Pittsburgh, I really thought it was ridiculous. Uh, I, I thought people way, way overreacted and tried to completely bury him when, when you look at it. He had only played two football games this season, and one of them was wrecked by the rain against the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, that was just a, a bad game for Joe Burrow and a bad game uh, for Deshaun Watson. You couldn't really judge him on that. And then the Pittsburgh game, I will 100% be one of the first people to stand up and say he had a bad game. I mean, he sh- he it was no excuse for how he played in that game and lost his cool. He lost his composure. You know, he just did not play within himself. I do think he got rattled once Nick Chubb went out of the lineup and he realized, oh, our protection, our protection schemes and our blitz pickup is all different now. And our passing game out of the backfield is completely different. And now we've got to move Jerome Ford up to number one. And then who's going to be the number two? And, you know, I mean, it, it just, I, I think it rattled him and he can't let that happen. Uh, and then, of course, the pick six on, on the first play. You know, you think you've got a, a great script and a great game plan and a pick, a pick six on the first play in hostile Pittsburgh when now you know you're going to be playing from behind. And it just all kind of conspired to be just a really, really horrible game for him. Uh, but the fact that everyone wrote him off so early as broken and finished and what you know he's just not going to be the same anymore ever again Uh, I, I just thought that was insanity and again we talked about this last night uh on our podcast and a little bit afterwards just amongst ourselves you don't also you don't want to overreact to this game and swing the pendulum the other way and act like oh my god he's turned the corner everything's going to be wonderful now that was a bad pass defense that he played against against the titans i mean a lot of quarterbacks can put up 
300 yards against the Titans right now. They just don't have a good pass defense. Um, so, you know, you want to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But he did what he needed to do. And he went out there and he played an efficient football game. He overcame the adversity of the first half when, you know, he, he did a few things wrong. He made a few mistakes. He threw the, uh, you know, he threw the ball backwards and almost cost them, uh, you know, that, that whole entire drive until he pulled it back together and really uh, rebounded with a touchdown pass on that drive. Um, but, you know, there were some issues, but, but he did what he needed to do. He came back and, and he played well. He threw some touchdown passes and he won the football game or he contributed in a big way to the victory. And that's what you expect from your starting quarterback. So looking at at Tennessee, just kind of their first three games, 282 yards passing allowed to New Orleans, 281 to the Chargers and 263 to the Browns. So he should have had success in this game. Like that's like, I, I think there's, if he would have struggled in this game, it would have just been more sky is falling. So I think we have to give him credit. He didn't struggle in this game. He made some really accurate throws, uh, some really well-timed throws. I mean, even the throw to Jerome Ford where he was wide open, like he timed that well and Ford was able to, Ford ran a great route um, and, and they got a touchdown out of it. A couple of nice throws to Amari. So it was, a, this was a really good game from Deshaun Watson. Was it a like great game? Was it a, was he like super dynamic out there? Did he look like, you know, Mahomes and Herbert and Allen all no, but that's okay. This was just a really good game from him. It was a step in a positive direction. And he looked like he looked closer to the quarterback. We thought he was, and there were a few, a few moments where you just saw, and we've seen this a couple times. He's really hard to sack. Now he takes a lot of sacks. Those sack numbers are high, but he gets out of a lot of sacks too. And that one bad play aside, he, he is really tough to bring down, even when you get a lot of pressure on him. He really is. And I think that's one of the things that the coaches really love about him, that escapability, that mobility, and the ability to almost kind of never say die. Now, sometimes he takes it a little bit too far, but that ability to keep a play alive, to extend the play until you can get the look that you want and try to go make a razzle-dazzle play. And, you know, he showed some flashes of that yesterday which I think was really good. And I think you're going to see even more of the playmaker in Deshaun come out as he gets more confidence. This was a confidence boosting game for Deshaun. And that's what he needed. He's now three and one at Cleveland Brown stadium. And if you continue to stack wins at home like that, you're going to have that home crowd uh, so far behind you uh, that it's going to lift you up in those games. Same thing with, with the miles Garrett. Uh, but I do think that as these weeks go by, uh, he's going to build up those confidence chips. And once he starts to really see who responds in certain moments or where they like the ball placed on a fade or on a sideline route, I mean, he's still getting to know Elijah Moore in game. Okay. I think, you know, that's an area to mine for a lot more growth. He's starting to really get it with Amari. And Amari made some really nice catches for him yesterday. Amari talks about really wanting to be uh, just so reliable for Deshaun, and he is becoming that. What a tremendous receiver he is. Um, but, you know, the next step will be to get some other guys rolling like that. Now, DPJ made some nice catches. Kareem Hunt made a couple of nice catches. I think that's going to be really good for them moving forward, really good. Um, but there's a couple of other guys. You know, he needs to start to be able to spread it around a little bit more and make sure – 
that he's really connecting well, you know, with his guys. I think, uh, I think there's so much more uh, for him and David Njoku to do together. I think there's a lot more uh, that we've seen so far that he can get out of Marquise Goodwin, who spent all of training camp on the sidelines with blood clots. Um, and that's another thing that I think people underestimate the fact that they just were not a whole cohesive unit throughout the summer. It's not an excuse. It's, these are just facts. It's going to take a little bit of time to put together a new scheme, how to call it, who's going to do what, well, when, and how, when a lot of them did not participate in training camp. Even Amari, to a certain extent, did not participate a whole bunch in training camp because he was coming off of an injury. He was coming off core muscle surgery. He recently tweaked a groin. I mean, he was kind of in and out of the lineup as well. So you can't expect it to be perfect in the beginning when they just haven't played together. And, you know, even Kevin Stefanski, they have so much that they have packed into this new offense. There's so much, you know, there's just so much shifting and empty sets and uh, RPOs and different formations and personnel groupings. Um, and Elijah Moore running the ball out of the backfield. There's a lot of new stuff in this offense. And it's just not going to look perfect in the first few weeks while you're figuring out what your strengths are, what you want to keep in the, the game plan, and what you want to tweak, and what you want to throw out the window. So, it, you know, it, people just need to be a little bit more patient with the process. Uh, but the fact that they are 2-1 and one right now, uh, as the Ravens come to town and they get ready to go into their bye week, uh, it's pretty good right now. One, two and one is a whole lot better than one and two. Yeah, for, for sure. Uh, let's continue with some of these Deshaun questions. Carloso in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Hey, Mary Kay, this is uh, going back to the sacks. Hey, Mary Kay, Deshaun's three sacks should have been four with the backwards lateral play is of some concern. What accounts for these? Are the receivers not open? Is the rush too strong? Or is Deshaun having a hard time seeing open receivers? I think it is a combination of all of the above. There are times when it seems like he's just not seeing it well. But I find that hard to believe because one of his fortes is the fact that he has a very, very high football acumen. So I struggle to, to think that he's just not seeing it. I don't know that he is seeing exactly what he wants to see. And so he might hesitate in some way, shape or form. Uh and, you know, I don't know if he likes the matchup that he wants, if he's getting the matchups that he wants or whatever the case may be. Uh, but I think he will see it faster uh, as the weeks go by. Once again, it's new. Like he told us in minicamp or he told us in, in the offseason program, everything is new. So right now, I think he's still thinking some instead of just reacting and going out and playing as fast as he probably will uh, six weeks from now, seven weeks from now. Eight weeks from now, you want to be playing your best ball in December. That's when you really want to be getting super hot. Right now, this is still the ramp up phase for this offense. And it's, it's okay to call it what it is. You know, we don't have to sit here and pretend like this is supposed to look amazing right now because it, it, it doesn't yet. Uh, but that doesn't mean it won't. And it doesn't mean it's time to draw sweeping conclusions about what he can or can't do. I find it hard to believe uh, that he is just someone who is slow at reading defenses. Talk to me in six weeks and I'll tell you what I think. I, and again, it goes back to, he's a guy who's always taken sacks. Um, it's even in his Houston days, it wasn't always just bad O-line play. He, 
he tries to keep plays alive and extend plays. And, you know, you see it with a lot of these quarterbacks who are like that, whether it's Deshaun or uh, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, um, you know, any of these quarterbacks that run around and extend plays and kind of think they're superhuman and can do, do what they want. Sometimes you'll see them take some bad sacks or make some bad plays under pressure um, because they just think they can do anything. Uh, now, Patrick Mahomes is a whole different universe and he can do anything. And we see him make these unbelievable plays that I don't, there aren't many guys that can make it, but you're going to see Deshaun sometimes try to extend a play when maybe he should just get rid of the football. But because of who he is, because he's so athletic, because he can escape, like we talked about earlier, sometimes he's going to take a bad sack here or there, or maybe make a bad throw because he's trying to to do something he 100% believes he can do. Um, but that's okay, because sometimes that's going to result in a really big play down the field, or it's going to result in you know, a scramble drill or something like that. There's just there's opportunities he's going to create with that, but there's some bad that comes with it too. I think they're going to continue to work on that as the season goes along. If they see him taking too many sacks, because the more sacks that you take, uh, the chances of injury increase exponentially. And they really don't want him to be injured for any length of time, obviously, during this season. So they want him to remain as upright as possible, obviously. Um, So I think as they go along, they will continue to talk to him about taking those sacks and taking those negative plays and putting himself in harm's way. They don't want him to do that. By the same token, they're not going to take away his playmaking ability. And as like, as you mentioned, though, that's how those guys are. That's how, how those improvisational quarterbacks operate. They run around and they look for the play that they like. They like to have the ball in their hands. They're the point guard. They are looking, uh, you know, to, to make the best play that they can come up with. And they feel invincible at times. Uh, but I think the more confidence that he gets in his current weapons, you know, I, I think he will have more confidence to get rid of the ball a little bit quickly or, you know, maybe check it down or, or take something less than spectacular and, you know, just take the play that's there. But in this game, I thought he did a much better job of keeping his composure. He lost it in that Pittsburgh game. He really did, as evidenced by those two face mask penalties that he got. Uh, in this particular game, he didn't get outside of himself. He didn't get outside of his head that much. He did a few things that uh, were a little bit crazy. Everybody was 100% ready to completely write him off for good again uh, when he whipped that ball back to Elijah Moore. Uh, but he pulled himself together after that, and he overcame that adversity, and that's what you want to see. Uh, but I think as time goes on, uh, I, you know, I think that they will encourage him to get rid of that ball a little bit quicker and not put himself at risk. And don't throw it to Elijah Moore when he's standing there behind you and, and you're about to go down. That's a sack you do just want to take. Just just go ahead and take that one. Um, right. We're going to get to the defense. we got a lot of questions about the defense, but we'll do that after we take a break. So let's stay on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Mavro in CBUS. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, loving the defense and the improvement in the passing game. A tad concerned with the run game. Uh, should I be or because of fewer attempts, there was a lower output? Well, you know what? That was a really good run defense that they just played. As poor as the Titans are in pass defense, they're really good against the run. They've got an incredibly stout defensive front, uh, especially their defensive line with Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry and those guys. And, you know, that's just one of Mike Vrabel's fortes is to be able to stop that run. 
so they, they were, you know, hell bent on doing that and they did a good job with that. Uh, I think it should get better as they move forward. Uh, I think now that Kareem is in the fold and they see the kind of shape that he's in and that he's going to be hitting the holes faster, I think that'll help. I think as Jerome Ford gets more comfortable behind his blockers and learns them a little bit better, I think that will help. I think as Pierre Strong continues to get up to speed in this system and in this offense with with his new team, I think that will help matters. And then, of course, you will achieve and accomplish some of the run game with Deshaun Watson and with Elijah Moore. And so I I think it will come together. It's not going to be Nick Chubb. You know, you might not have one single guy going out there and rushing for 100 yards for you every single week, but I do think they will be able to accomplish the running game effectively enough, uh, you know, to to be able to run their play action and all the, in the, the RPOs and all the different things that they want to do. So I do think that it will get better as time goes on. I feel like we have to walk on eggshells a little bit when we talk about this, but... I love Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is the best runner in football. Uh, The Browns are a worse team without Nick Chubb. But with Jerome Ford, with Kareem Hunt, you're using Elijah Moore a little bit in the backfield with Pierre Strong. I do think this running game is going to look really different. It's not going to look like it did with Nick Chubb, in part because you can't replicate Nick Chubb. But also, you just have more versatility in the backfield now. You have, I mean, if you just hand the ball off to Jerome Ford 20 times, you're kind of wasting his skill set. Um, and I think the same with Kareem Hunt too. I, I think it opens the offense or at least the passing game up a little bit more. And then what they really need to figure out is just how to do some of the traditional run game stuff. Cause I don't know if Jerome can handle just 15 carries between the tackles. I do know Kareem can, especially if he's in the shape he's in, if he stays in the shape he's in now, So maybe that's the answer, but I just think people need to adjust their expectations here. Like now is sort of the offense is going to look different because you don't have that bell cow back anymore. That's a bad thing because Nick Chubb is so good, but maybe it ends up being a a good thing too. And kind of, as they change this offense, you'd rather have Nick Chubb, but since you don't, you you can make some adjustments and kind of open up what you do with your running backs a little bit differently, I guess. Yeah. And like you said, Dan, it's heresy to act like life after Nick Chubb is going to go okay. But the truth of the matter is you can accomplish the running game even without Nick Chubb. It's it's one of the things that you can find a way to replace. Somehow, some way, you can usually do it, especially if you have good backs already on your roster. And the Browns have been really excited about Jerome Ford. And again, I think that it's going to be a work in progress And the way that they divide up the workload, I think that that will evolve over the next five, six, seven, eight weeks. Uh, I think they'll kind of figure it out. I think Jerome will get better. I mean, remember, that was his first NFL start. And he did, you know, he did not make a lot of hay when he ran the ball. I think he averaged something like 1.8 yards per carry or something like that um, against a very, very good run defense. but it was his first NFL start, and uh, you know he's going to have to figure some things out, and they're going to have to figure him out and how to use him most effectively. They're going to have to see what they think Kareem has because, you know, just because you do lose ten pounds doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're going to find the step that you seemingly lost a little bit last year. But 
the chances are better that he will. And again, as we've talked about, he's he doesn't have the heavy legs of not being happy with your situation. I say that about unhappy players. They they get heavy legs and you know they they don't their body doesn't work uh as fast as they want it to do when when they're not happy. And I think anytime you get Kareem Hunt, especially at Cleveland Brown Stadium where the fans love him, uh he's gonna have that extra spring in his step and he's going to play faster than he did last year uh because he is grateful to be here and he sees an opportunity uh not only to help this team get to the playoffs and go deep into the playoffs, but also for him to revive his career a little bit. He sat out of football till September 20th. So I think that um, I think better things are ahead for the running game, even without Nick Chubb. And look, the Browns will miss Nick Chubb at some point this season. And in fact, I think they probably already did. I think they lost that Pittsburgh game because of the Nick Chubb injury. He was the Steelers could not stop him. And he carried the ball 10 times in the first 16 minutes of that game before the injury, which is a lot um, for him. They, they don't usually hand him the ball that much that early in a game. So it was pretty clear what that, you know, they knew the Steelers couldn't stop Nick Chubb and the Browns probably win that game if Chubb doesn't get hurt. But, um, it, you know, like Wyatt Teller, you know, when I talked to Wyatt Teller yesterday, he said, what are we going to do? Just forfeit our games and stop playing? Like, no, they got to show up and play. So they need to make the best of this. And you have this running back room with this varied skill set now. So figure it out. And I don't think it's going to look like it did when you were just turning the, turning and handing the ball to Nick Chubb. And I think, I think fans need to kind of adjust their expectations a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this somewhere else. I don't know if it was a pod or a video, but I mean, there are certain positions that would be extremely hard to replace. If you if you lost Miles Garrett for any reason, you're not going to find someone who can come in and get 16, 17 sacks for you in a season. That's not happening. Uh, if you lose your starting quarterback, that's really hard to replace. If you lose one of your starting cornerbacks, that's also really, really, really hard to replace. But if you lose a running back, even a Nick Chubb, whether it has to be by committee or whatever way you can accomplish it or get it done, you can find a way to get the yards that you need in most cases. Okay, another question about the offense. Um, again, another guy, sometimes you got to walk on eggshells when you talk about with Browns fans. But this comes from Bill in Potomac, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, why can other teams heavily use their tight ends, just Kittle, uh, Travis Kelsey, he actually says Taylor Swift and then puts Kelsey in parentheses and Mark Andrews, but the Browns are paying David Njoku for one catch a game and to block. So I guess to sum it up, what is going on with David Njoku here early in the season? Once again, I think that it's still a little bit of a, a work in progress and he has had to probably block a little bit more and chip a little bit more uh, than they intended him to. When you have Jack Conklin, your two-time all-pro right tackle in there, um, in the game, you know, you just, you don't have to give him much help. You can leave him out on an island. But David is an amazing blocker. He's, I would say, their best blocking tight end. And, um, and therefore, you know, they've needed him for that a little bit more right now. But he's become somewhat of a selfless player. I think his receptions and his touchdowns are going to come. I really do. I think he's a weapon and I think that they will find a way to use him once they get uh, their tackles up to speed. Now, Dewan Jones is coming along really nice uh, at, at the right tackle spot and he's going to have his growing pains like all rookies do. Um, 
But in the early going, I think that, you know, I think that David Njoku is being called upon uh, to take on some of those duties. Uh, but it is in some ways, you know, unfortunate because I think there's so much more to him than he's been able to show so far. And, um, you know, I mean, he, he fumbled last week and that, you know, that can't happen. You know, when, when you do that, when you lose the football, you know, you, you lose some of those trust chips with your coaches. They, they don't like that at all. I mean, you, that is the thing that you can't do. You can't be out there turning the ball over. So sometimes I think you go in the penalty box a little bit, whether it's a conscious thing or a subconscious thing, um, before you earn, uh, you know, the right to go back out there sometimes and, and you know, and really, uh, you know, get those targets as much again. But I think that, that David's going to make his hay. I think David's going to get his targets. He's going to get his catches. And at some point this season, there's going to be a stretch where we're going to be writing some David Njoku stories. And I think he's going to be catching some touchdown passes and doing a really nice job. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, he's, he's not young anymore. He's been in the league forever, um, but he is still, I mean, as far as his prime is concerned, he's still kind of in the early days of that. Um, and I thought, I thought it was interesting when we heard from TC McCartney a couple weeks ago, when he kind of said, you know, he tells David Njoku that if he's covered, he's doing something wrong. So it does feel like there's still, you know, David is still kind of learning some things about how to kind of take his game to that next level. We've seen good and now he's got to learn how to take it to great. And that's a, that's a difficult leap to make for any player. Um, and part of that is, you know, he's just got to learn. And even though he's been in the league a while and he is what, 27 now, um, there, there's still a little bit of a learning curve going on there. I think. I'm sure he watches plenty of film, uh, but I wonder if he can't even take that up a notch and watch even a little bit more film of, uh, you know, of the Travis Kelsey's and the Mark Andrews and, and those kinds of guys, the George Kittles, the guys that he goes to tight end university with. He probably watches plenty of film, but, you know, he does somehow need to elevate his game. And I don't know uh, what he can do to do that. Uh, you know, I think he's worked on his hand eye issues uh, to make sure that he's looking it in. Uh, we know that, you know, he can, you know, he can high point the ball. He, he just is capable of so much more than we have seen yet. And, um, you know, and hopefully for him, uh, they will start to unlock whatever it is that, that he needs to do, you know, to get untracked and to get rolling because he should be your, you know, not your Travis Kelsey, but he should be sort of your poor man's Travis Kelsey. Okay. Uh, a few more questions here about the offense. Um, some folks asking about Jedrick Wills. We'll do uh, Jay's Jay from Canton's question. Hey, Mary Kay. I know uh, everyone's very optimistic right now coming off that win, but I still feel this team is vulnerable at tackle, especially left tackle. Do you think there's a chance they move Jed back to right tackle and give Dewan Jones a chance at left tackle? Right now, I don't think that's in the cards. I don't think they, they want to upset the apple cart to that degree. Um, but I, you know, we'll see how it goes as time goes along. When I did my one on one interview with Dewan Jones, he 100% fancies himself a starting left tackle in the NFL. That's what he sees for himself. He's played it in college. Uh, he played it some at Ohio State and he envisions that that's what he can be. And he doesn't even seem to think 
that moving over to the left side is going to be a tremendous adjustment for him. So we'll see. And when I asked Joe Thomas about it, he thinks that Dewan has that capability as well. So if it becomes evident that that would be the better move for him, uh, because it looks to me like he's going to be the better offensive tackle of the two before long. Um, and, you know, once he demonstrates that he can do that, maybe they will consider it. But what you don't want to do is weaken two positions and you have to be really sure that, that that's going to work for you because you don't necessarily want to do an experiment. Although I, I do think that if you try something and it doesn't work, you could put it back the way that it was. I mean, sometimes you have to take a little risk to, to move ahead and see if it's going to work. Um, so I wouldn't be opposed to them trying it. Maybe Jed would feel more comfortable on the, at least the side that he played on in college, even though uh, he blocked for Tua, who was a lefty over there when he was at right tackle. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this evolves because, you know, there, there are a lot of layers to it. You know, Jed Wills ha- is under contract next season in his fifth year option year for already a guaranteed $14.1 million. Um, but DeWand is really coming on strong. And if, if he's going to be ready to be the Browns starting left tackle, it could happen at some point. Yeah. And we're still in an era where left tackles just get paid more. Like, right. We talked about this with like Greg Newsom when he, the outside corner versus slot, right? Slot has become really valuable, but outside corners are still the positions that get paid the money. And even though there's, you know, like Lane Johnson makes his, his average per year is 20.18 million. Uh, Jawan Taylor's at 20 million, but those are the only two right tackles over 20 million a year. At left tackle, there's four guys, and then there's a lot more in that 19 to 18 million dollar range. So, right tackles are kind of catching up, but the left tackles still get the big contracts. And so, there might come a point in Dewan's career, and this is down the road where he pulls. I think it was Orlando Brown that really wanted, that was frustrated about having to play right tackle, and he wanted to move and play the left tackle, and now he's he's doing that. Um, so. That's something to consider as well. I also wonder if the Browns just don't care if they just pay tackles, tackle money. You know, like Andrew has said, tackle is tackle. But when they decided to, before they decided to draft Jed Will, so maybe they don't care. But that's an interesting thing to kind of keep in mind as we go along here. But that's obviously way, way down the road because DeWan's still a rookie. Yeah, it, it is way down the road. But the notion of him starting at left tackle at some point, um, you know, is it way, way down the road? We'll see about that. You know, we don't know. I mean, he said to me, and I think that he's having discussions with coaches about that, that he wants to master the right side. And then he feels like he can move over and master the left side. And he has it as a goal to chase the legacy of Joe Thomas. That was what the whole story um, that I did was about with him was he wants to chase Joe Thomas's legacy and accomplish the things that Joe Thomas did as close to Joe Thomas uh, did them as possible, which means that he would have to be the left tackle if he's going to be Joe. And, um, you know, I can kind of see it. I can kind of see it happening because, again, the Browns are going to have some decisions to make either next year or the year after about whether or not Jed Wills is going to be their long-term starting left tackle. And if he's not, you know, maybe DeWand is the guy. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see how he develops. But I think, as Kevin Stefanski pointed out, the protection was good. Uh, the protection was good yesterday. And Deshaun, for the most part, had the time that he needed 
to run that offense. Okay, let's take a break, and then we will finally get to the defense, uh, which played so well on Sunday against Tennessee. I'm back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, our Hey Mary Kay edition, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. All right, let's get to that defense, which has been so dominant. Uh, and I, I kind of thought this question was interesting. It comes from Paxton Styles in Chevrolet, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, coming into the season, it seemed like Deshaun Watson and the offense would define this team. But clearly the defense has taken that on so far. Do you think the rest of the season will be defined by the Browns defense, especially with Nick Chubb out? I think that the defense is going to be pretty dominant for most of the season. I don't think that, you know, what we're seeing is any kind of a a fluke or a mirage or anything like that. So to a certain extent, you know, I think you can hang your hat on that. Um, But I think the offense is going to do its part. I think they will play complementary football. And I don't think it's going to be too long uh, before you start seeing the offense win games before Deshaun starts, you know, outright, you know, going down and in the two minute drill and winning a game uh, with the game winning touchdown pass. I I think it's going to be, uh, you know, maybe not 50, 50, maybe it'll be 60% defense, 40% offense for a little while while they kind of get it together. Uh, But I don't think that this is going to be a situation where the defense is carrying the offense. There's too much talent on this offense. I do think, however, um, you know, some of some of the receivers are going to have to step up. It can't just be like everything's cool with Amari and then, you know, then everybody else. I think another couple of guys have really got to emerge as big time playmakers. And that could be tight ends. That could be receivers, whatever. It can't just be Amari, Amari, you know, like Elijah. They went to Elijah a lot, but they've, they've got to find a way. Uh, to make sure that that is effective because they put so many eggs in that basket in, in the off season. Uh, but I, I don't think this is just going to be like, Oh, the defense is, you know, this is the uh, Baltimore Ravens when they won a Super Bowl, uh in spite of supposedly Trent Dilfer. And they just had this dominant, dominant defense. I don't think that's what this is at all. Yeah. This question got me thinking about that. Like we remember the Ravens went out and they hire Brian Billick and it's supposed to be this offensive show and he ends up winning his Super Bowl because the defense is so incredible. I don't think it's, it's going to be like that. Um, but I, I do think a big, if this team, you know, makes a deep playoff run, even gets to Las Vegas, I think a big part of it will be because of how dominant this defense is. And like, you know, so we've talked about how you want to have a quarterback that can go, toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and all these guys. Also, if you have a defense that can make those guys uncomfortable and, you know, we've all seen the games where it's like you're so scared of a a team's offense and then you look up in the third or fourth quarter and they've really kind of struggled to move the ball on on a defense. This defense has that kind of potential. So it, it really is. It really can kind of be the best of both worlds where, you know, you hope Deshaun turns back in to that quarterback and he took a positive step Sunday where he turns back into that quarterback that can go toe to toe with those guys. But also he's got this incredible defense behind him where he doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to turn into a big 12 game. Like you, you can win with complimentary football. And that's why in Pittsburgh, he didn't need to do too much. He didn't need to lose his cool. He just needed to kind of stay cool, calm, collective and do his part and not make mistakes and not turn the ball over and know that the defense had his back. And while they are coming together and coming up that learning curve together, uh, you know, the defense 
is, is humming along. Now, the thing that we talked about yesterday, and I think it's worth mentioning again here, is the fact that they haven't played the juggernaut offenses of the NFL yet. Uh, you know, they started out with a, you know, gimpy Joe Burrow in a rainy game in week one. And then they moved on to um, Kenny Pickett in week two. And, you know, they didn't have, you know, a, a great running game. They didn't have a very good offensive line. Uh, their best receiver, Deontay Johnson, missed that football game. Uh, you know, then you're playing against Ryan Tannehill. And, you know, nobody is confusing him right now with, you know, Aaron Rodgers or or Patrick Mahomes or anybody like that. Um, so, you know, they, they haven't played the top, top guys yet. Now they've got one coming in on Sunday. And it's going to be interesting to see how Lamar Jackson operates against this defense. But I think he's going to find such a fast, aggressive defense that it's also going to be hard for him uh, to move the ball and to score points, to move the chains, to hit those big plays. And, you know, he's going to find out that, that this is a really, really good Cleveland Browns defense. And I think they're going to, you know, they're going to give him hell on, on Sunday afternoon. I think these next two games are really interesting because it is Lamar and the Ravens. But then you come out of the bye and you play San Francisco. And, you know, Brock Purdy's not in that class, but Kyle Shanahan is obviously we know how great he is. And they have so many weapons, like so many receivers, Christian McCaffrey. Brock Purdy's fine. Like he's I'm not trying to rip on like he's he's good. He's been really good for them. So I'm really I'm really interested to see kind of what Kyle can come up with against this defense. He's the type of coach that can maybe find something to expose. Um, so I'm curious about that. But when you mentioned like who they have to play this year, this defense has a chance to really keep this going. I mean, they've got, I'm just looking through the schedule. They've got the Colts. That'll be either Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew. Seattle's got a really good offense. So that'll be a fun challenge, but then you've got the Cardinals. That's our old buddy, Josh Dobbs. Um, and I'm just looking at the non-division opponents here. The Broncos are a mess right now. The Rams, we'll see if Matthew Stafford is even still healthy on December 3rd. The Jaguars are struggling, uh, but we'll, we'll see kind of where they are. But then you've got Justin Fields and Zach Wilson on your schedule. You know, I don't want to write off CJ Stroud because he's off to a great start. So, um, you know, hopefully that'll continue for him. They don't have to play like the Dolphins or the Chiefs or the Bills or anyone like that. And they get a break because they don't have to play Aaron Rodgers. So there are tough quarterbacks, a couple tough quarterbacks left on the schedule. Um, but it's it's right there for this defense if they want to just keep dominating people. It is right there for this defense. And some of the best quarterbacks that they are going to have to beat along the way, of course, are going to be their AFC North foes. But who is Joe Burrow going to be uh, with this calf injury uh, as the season goes along? I mean, if they fall too far behind, uh, you know, they, they could find themselves out of the AFC North or the playoff race, unbelievably. Um you know, Lamar Jackson, how is Lamar Jackson going to fare against this Cleveland Browns defense? But I think they're only going to start to get better and better as the weeks go along. They, you know, they haven't really even scratched the surface yet because Zadarius Smith really hasn't gotten rolling yet per se. And there are other guys that have, uh, you know, I think some really big game changing performances in them. 
that we will see over the next few weeks. So yeah, I think it's, I, I think the defense is really going to be, uh, you know, one that makes a lot of noise this year. And, um, you know, again, you say all this and then, you know, they go out and then watch Lamar Jackson, you know, have this amazing game. And then everybody's like, Oh, the emperor has no clothes. The defense is no good. That's not going to be the case. The defense is going to be good. Even if Lamar pulls the rabbit out of the hat, like he often does against the Cleveland Browns and has a good football game. This is still a really, really good defense, much improved over last year. Yeah. And I, I should mention, you know, I, like I kind of mentioned Arizona and, facing Josh Dobbs. You know, the Dallas Cowboys before yesterday were right there with the Browns as far as top defenses in the league. And then Josh Dobbs and the Cardinals go beat them. So you just never know in this league. Like mm-hmm. you, you shouldn't just overlook anyone. But my bigger point there was they don't really have to play these super high-powered quarterbacks really outside of the division um, really until the playoffs. So uh, they've, they've got a real chance to, to pile up some wins if this defense keeps playing like this. Bruce Moore from West Palm Beach, Florida. Hey, Mary Kay, we've heard high praise for the D-line and defensive backs, uh, but what are we seeing from the linebackers? Surely they must be doing some great things as well. Well, I'll tell you what. I saw JOK make some really nice plays yesterday, and I think the lights are really, really coming on for JOK uh, in, in this defense. We all saw Anthony Walker make a very big play on the goal line. Uh, Miles Garrett got some pressure and Anthony Walker swatted down a pass at the, uh, right near the goal line, uh, before the end of the half. So I think the linebackers are really thriving and, and also shining in this Jim Schwartz defense so far. Um, and I, I think you'll, you'll hear and see even more from them as time goes on. You've got Sione Taki Taki. Uh, you know, doing some nice things. And, you know, I, I think this linebacking core, especially JOK, I think you're going to see some really cool things out of him. I have a quick question for you, though, Dan. Do you Is it still going to be Josh Dobbs by the time they play the Cardinals, or is Kyler That's, Murray going to be back by then? Oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. Yeah, let me let me call up when that game is. I forgot that Kyler uh, – I kind of forgot about Kyler. Um, let's see. They play the Cardinals on November 5th. That's kind of iffy. I would be yeah. a little surprised if that was Kyler by then, because didn't he get hurt in December? I can't. I can't exactly I remember he when he got hurt. Yeah, it was late in the year. That's uh, going to be cutting it. That might be about the time we start hearing about like if they want to bring Kyler back and when they want to bring him back. So yeah, that's that's interesting. Or maybe it'll be Clayton Toon by then. Who knows? Who knows? But. <laughs> Yeah, the the quarterback picture, you know, will be interesting as as we go along to see what this uh, Browns defense is going to have to deal with. And the other thing that I wonder is now that um, offenses are going to have some film on this completely revamped Cleveland Browns defense, especially their AFC North foes, you know, how are they going to try to attack it? Because you've got to find a way. I mean, you saw... Mike Vrabel struggling to do all different kinds of things to minimize Miles Garrett and, and nothing seemed to work. I mean, they were, they were chipping, they were giving uh, Andre Dillard some help. Uh, they at one point had two tight ends shadowing miles up back and forth across the line. Um, so, you know, teams are trying and they'll continue to try. Um, but who is going to have, it'll be Kyle Shanahan, probably who's going to have, the kind of game plan that, you know, tries to solve this defense a little bit and attacks it 
in such a way that they can slow it down a little bit and slow that D line down, especially. Yeah. I, th- I think that's the one to circle. Um, you know, obviously Baltimore, I, like Lamar Jackson is the ultimate chess piece, right. With all the stuff he can do just improvisationally, but just from a scheme standpoint, like let's see what Kyle can cook up for this defense. And also he's got Christian McCaffrey who speaking of chess pieces, that's a pretty, like he can do so many different things. Um, he's off to a great start. So that's kind of the one where I just want to see like, is, is Kyle going to be the one that figures this out? Um, then maybe doesn't have a ton of success against it, but figures it out enough to, to score some points and, and kind of, you know, put some chips there in the armor of, of what the Browns are doing. So we'll see. <laughs> I think, I think that's going to be a good matchup. And then as far as the linebackers go, this is kind of the point, right? Like maybe we're not talking about the linebackers much, but that's like a Jim Schwartz defense. They're, they're making plays when they're there, but we kind of knew going in, like this is not a defense that is centered around the linebackers. It's not, but they're having chances to shine. They're having opportunities to make their plays. And I think they will get more of those uh, as they go along. And, uh, you know, I think it's a defense where all the dogs get to eat. And, and I think, uh, you know, some of those plays that I saw out of, out of JOK, the game is slowing down for him. You know, right now he's healthy. He looks good out there. And I think there's a lot more to come from him. And I think that Jim Schwartz is going to, uh, you know, put more on his plate as he sees uh, more and more what, what he's capable of doing. But an, another thing real quick to, to remember about, you know, the, the Titans defense, as opposed to say like a Ravens offense, I mean the, the Titans offense, as opposed to a Ravens or a 49ers um, Derek Henry, you know, from, from what I, you know, could, could tell heading into the game uh, or, you know, doing some due diligence on that, you know, is, you know, he's kind of lost a step. He's not the Derek Henry that, uh, you know, that went out and rushed for 2000 yards, you know, in whatever year it was and earned, I think, back to back rushing titles. Um, you know, he, he's not that play. It kind of happens fast with running backs where they lose a step. And he just didn't seem, obviously, especially yesterday, like he was the super fearsome running back that, you know, that we've seen in the past. And then, you know, DeAndre Hopkins was coming off of, I think it was an ankle injury. I can't remember what, I think it was an ankle injury. Um, and, you know, and he wasn't himself to the point where he didn't even practice on Friday. So, so he wasn't someone that you had to really necessarily fear. And plus they have the horses that can match up with receivers like that. But, um, you know, they will have tougher tests as time goes on. Yeah. And Ryan Tannehill is 35 years old. And mm-hmm. sometimes he looks 35 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's that heavy play action offense. And you, there there were just moments yesterday where the Titans are trying to do things. And it's like, you, you just can't do that against this defense, not what the guys are mm-hmm. trying to do it with. And the Browns did a really nice job of getting to Derrick Henry before he could really get ahead of steam going. So, mm-hmm. um, listen, that's what you're supposed to do. If you, if you want to win your division and you want to go to the playoffs, you've got to beat teams like the Tennessee Titans. And Every other team in the AFC North is going to get a shot at those guys. So, it, you know, you've got to win that game uh, if, you, if you want to try and win your division and keep pace with everybody. So Browns Ravens coming up on Sunday. We've got a full week of pods this week. No more short week. So uh, Lance Reisland's going to be back uh, tomorrow to talk a little bit about what he saw. And we'll kind of, Mary Kay Ashley and I will kind of get the week set up for you. Uh, we'll have our preview pod coming on Friday. So just make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
maybe both. I don't know, whatever. And then uh, find us on Instagram, search Orange or Brown Talk, and find us on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com to find us there. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.